0: The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com.
1: Swung on, long drive, right field, and this one belongs to the Reds!
0: UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. An in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. While well, the Cleveland Indians continue to fight for their playoff lives, and the Cincinnati Reds and Joey Votto just keep on fighting. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell. Welcome to this week's edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. The Indians right now are up 4-1. to one. On the Kansas City Royals, Carlos Carrasco doing a great job for the Tribe tonight against Edison Volquez. They need every win possible, as after tonight, they've got 20 games left, and they are four and a half games out in the wild card playoff chase. Meanwhile, the Cincinnati Reds, they lost their best player in Joey Votto to a suspension, but who knows what will happen on appeal. We're going to talk about that, plus more. On tonight's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Plus, a Cleveland Indian great passed away, and we're going to pay tribute to him at the end of tonight's show. But first, we've got to go down south and talk to our resident Reds expert about what's happening with the Cincinnati Reds, and that would be Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight?
2: I'm good, Dave, and uh, I have to admit that uh, I'm jealous. I, I want to have a team. Because I'm better looking or what? Well, well that, of course. Uh, okay. I, I defer to your, not only that, but your intelligence as well. Although um, I, I didn't want to bring this up, but since you are getting personal, uh, I did want to remind you last week when you were whining when your manager was going to set down two of your starters because they were facing a left-hander, what did those guys do that replaced those starters?
0: The guys that
2: replaced them. Remember, you you were complaining last week that uh, Francona was going to right. Bench. Set down Kipnis and Brantley. Yeah, and what did the replacements do? Uh, absolutely nothing. I thought that one hit. A home, two. <laughs> I thought one hit two home runs.
0: Yes, he did. Okay, Brian Rayburn. Yes. hit two home
2: runs. Yes, yes you're absolutely right. Well. Um, I wasn't going to bring that up until you were talking about how handsome you were, so I thought I want to bring you down to earth. But uh, aside from that, uh, I am jealous that the Cleveland Indians are a legitimate playoff contender here in mid-September.
0: If they would have only played this way at the beginning of the season, even even halfway through the season, Mark, I would seriously be excited about this i'm excited right now that i actually have september baseball to look forward to with them being four and a half games out but you know they they started this just too little too late
2: oh come on my team is 29 (laughs) games out of first place they could win their last 20 games and still be in last place so again i i think you're forgetting how fortunate you are that your team is playing meaningful baseball in mid-September. Don't get cocky.
0: Well, let me give you a little ray of sunshine as far as the Reds are concerned. They're not 29 games out of first place. They're actually 28 and a half.
2: You're right, Dave. Now I feel better.
0: (laughs) You should. It's that, That half game could make up a great deal because the Indians had two games this weekend rained out with Detroit. They made up one with a conventional doubleheader yesterday. If they're still in the chase at the end of the year, they're going to have to make that other one up. And that could be the difference, Mark, between the Indians making the playoffs and the Indians not making the playoffs. How would you like to be Detroit and Brad Ausman, <clears throat> who's probably going to lose his job at the end of the year, and have to come back for a possible 162nd game after the regular season really concluded, and have to finish it up with one game in Cleveland on a Monday.
2: You know, I think when you look back on teams that have just failed miserably in a given year, the Reds weren't supposed to be good this year, uh, but Detroit was. And I think most experts picked Detroit first or second in the division, and certainly a playoff team, to be sure. And you look back over the last three or four years, that there have been some spectacularly, uh, I guess, Failing teams, I remember uh, the Los Angeles Angels a couple years ago when they had pool holes and uh, they had Josh Hamilton and this array of talent and the Texas Rangers. But, you know, you can think back over the last 10, 20 years, this version of the Detroit Tigers and what they have not done this year really is amazing with the the payroll they have and the talent on that team. And you're right. I think Brett Ausmus uh, may be looking for work after this year.
0: You know, Mark, as I think back, and I did that this weekend about teams that have just totally gone in the dumper after being expected to do something at the beginning of the year. Detroit is one. Boy, you brought up that Angels team from a few years back. That's another one. But when you think of teams that have gone down the tubes, it's really hard to think of one team that stands out that really did it as much as Detroit has this year.
2: Well, yeah, I, when you think about that uh, in, in Justin Berlander, what, what happened to him the first half of the year? <laughs> I don't know. He's pitched better in the second half, uh, not up to his expectations or that of the team, I'm sure. But beginning of the year, this guy was getting lit up for the first half of the year. And th- that's almost, uh, it's unbelievable that a team like that with the talent they have, of course, Miggy went down and what did he lose? 60 games, 50 games. Uh, that killed that team. And, it just shows how incredibly valuable uh, Cabrera is to the Detroit Tigers.
0: You know, I've got a guy that tells me that Verlander's problems, and he's totally serious about this, are Kim Upton.
2: Uh, well, you know, I would trade. <laughs> I mean, really, what's, what's more important? It's it's Kate Upton, by the way. But uh, That's true.
0: Yes, uh, you're right. It's Kate Upton.
2: Kate Upton, and uh, she is... She's probably worth not winning the Cy Young Award. <laughs>
0: could, could be. You know, another team that really has fallen off the deep end this year is Washington. In the last month and a half, Mark, they have really gone off the deep
2: end. Yeah, I, I've been watching. You know, I think you and I both picked that team. At least I did uh, to, to win the the division. But on the on the other, the flip side I of that, too. who did you pick in the in the East?
0: Oh, I, did. I took Washington.
2: Yeah, I think we both did. But the team that really is fun to watch now, it's the New York Mets. And what they're doing, I mean, they're running away with that division now. And who would have, nobody, I don't think anybody, picked them to win the division. But with that pitching, and they've got an exciting fan base there, excited fan base, and that's the kind of team you don't want to face in the playoffs. And wh- whoever has to play them, and they're going to win the division. So they're not going to be faced with that wild card game. Somebody's got to play have five games.
0: You know, a team that I wouldn't want to face if I'm a team in the American League, realistically, and I know a lot of people are going to think I'm playing the homer here, but I'm not. I wouldn't want to face the Indians right now. With the pitching that they've got in a short series, it would be very, very difficult for you to beat this Indians team right now.
2: Hey, Dave, why we're speaking about that and their pitching, uh, what what is their schedule the rest of the way? How, how do you see that schedule? Do you think it's a favorable one for them? And what do you think the outcome is going to be? What, what do they have to win, in your opinion, to get into the playoffs? How many games?
0: Oh, I think out of, out of the last 20, they've got to at least win 13. And I, and I think I'm really being uh, generous when I say 13. I think in order for them to really have – an absolute chance i would say they'd have to win 15 because when you look at what they are right now mark and let me right now coming into tonight they're 70 and 71 to get to 85 wins they've got to win 15 more games out of the final 21 well they've got the 4 to 1 lead tonight so when you see what they're doing there that's where they've got to come up with with the victories but the next 4 games are going to be desperate for the Indians because they've got Kansas City and they've got the best record in the American League. And then when you go forward, they've got the Chicago White Sox this weekend for a three-game set. Then that's the last games that they play at home until the final week of the season. Next week, they've got Monday off, which they may make that Detroit game up on Monday, depending upon what the, what the circumstances are. But according to the CBA, the way that everybody's talking, they really can't make up the game on that day because neither Detroit or the Indians have had a day off in less than 20 days. So they've they've got to have the day off there. But then next week, the Indians have a three-game set at Minnesota on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Then they've got Kansas City on the weekend at Kansas City, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Then they come home for Minnesota for a three-game set, and then they round out the season with the Boston Red Sox with a three-game set. So, you know, you could say that, yeah, it's a tough schedule, and I would agree with you, but the best thing about it is you have got three more games, or I'm sorry, six more games coming up with Minnesota, and Minnesota's the team that you're fighting for for that wild-card spot.
2: By the way, I thought that Cueto was going to be pitching tonight for Kansas City. Did they change that rotation?
0: They went with Edison Volquez mainly because they're trying to give Cueto some time off. I was listening to the Royals broadcast crew on the Major League Baseball package, and they said they want to give Cueto a chance to clear his head uh, before he gets the opportunity to pitch again. They're thinking that maybe he'll pitch on Wednesday He probably won't pitch tomorrow night. But, you know, Mark, when I was watching Volquez tonight, I don't remember him, and you saw him a lot more than I have, I don't remember Volquez being as deliberate, and I'm going to just come right out and say it. I'm being nice when I say deliberate. I'm going to be nasty here. Dumb on the mound as far as getting the signals From the catcher, he just doesn't seem tonight to be able to get the signals from the catcher as far as what he wants to throw. Have you been accustomed to seeing him do this, step off the rubber and have to go through the signs all the time again?
2: Yeah, I do remember that, actually. And uh, he was, (laughs) I don't know what his intellectual capabilities are, but he never struck me as somebody too bright uh, when he was with the Reds. Uh, he had great stuff. You know, it's amazing. When you look at his stuff, when he was with the Reds, he was throwing 95, 96 with a change-up that could break your legs. I mean, he, he just had tremendous stuff. And aside from a half a year where he was just dominant, he was always a 500 pitcher at best, and I never understood why. And usually when that occurs, there's something missing between the ears. And when you have that kind of physical talent, and you can't translate it to victories on the field. There's usually something, you know, on the emotional or mental side that is uh, prohibiting you from being as good as you could be.
1: Well, it, it certainly appeared
0: to be the case tonight because Salvador Perez. You know, I I could see the signs coming in from the center field camera, and the Royals announcers were just having a cow, saying they had never seen Volquez do it this much. He just could not seem to get the signs down coming in from Perez kept stepping off, kept, you know, rotating the glove like let's go over the signs again. He just wasn't seen wasn't on the same page with Perez tonight in this game so far. And and the Royals are down 4 to 1. Matter of fact, Mark, the only run that the Royals got was on the very first pitch of the ball game from Carrasco to Alex Gordon and Carrasco grooved a fastball trying to get ahead in the count and Gordon quickly deposited it into the right field bleachers and that made it 1 to nothing. Then the Indians came back and Jason Kipnis tied it up in the bottom of the 1st with a leadoff homer of his own. That made it 1 to 1. Then the Indians scored 2 runs in the 3rd to go up 3 to 1 and one more run in the 4th to make it 4 to 1 and that's where it stands right now in the 5th inning. 4 to 1 Indians on top of the Royals and let's hope it stays that way. By the way, isn't wait,
2: isn't Yan Gomes catching that game?
0: Yes, Gomes is catching tonight.
2: Oh, I thought you said uh, somebody else was catching. I'm sorry.
0: No, Salvador Perez for the Royals. Oh, for the Royals.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay.
0: You know, I'm going to make a case here tonight, Mark. Francisco Lindor got three more hits yesterday in the doubleheader against Detroit. He's got two walks tonight, two runs scored. He's batting 309 coming into tonight's game. And before the. He's quickly becoming a fan favorite, obviously among indian fans and prior to tonight's game he talked about what the indians have been doing lately to stay in this pennant race
3: you know continuing to do what we're doing right now i mean we we we're playing we're playing the game the right way right now we um we're having fun and um nobody's quitting you know everybody's pulling um in the same direction everybody's passing the baton you know they if I don't do it, brand will do it. Brandley don't do it, Santana will do it. Santana doesn't do it, you know, uh, etc. Go, the list goes on and on. You know, you just I think we just gotta continue to play the game the right way, and I'm um, have fun. And at the end of the day, you know, uh, October 4th come, hopefully we we win the playoffs.
0: Mark, as I said, Lindor's hitting 309 in 79 games this year. He's got 96 hits, eight home runs. 36 RBIs, batting in the second position. Defensively, he has fielded 312 chances in those 79 games. He's got nine errors, 200 assists, and he has converted 50 double plays. Now, the guy that is the media favorite right now to win the American League Rookie of the Year is Houston shortstop Carlos Correa. He's batting right now in 80 games. 274, he's got 310 at-bats, 18 home runs, 52 RBIs, he's had 321 chances with 9 errors, 217 assists, and he has converted 34 double plays. These guys, I think, are the future of the American League as far as the shortstop position is concerned. I'm not going to sit here and say that Lindor deserves it. I'm not going to say that Korea deserves the American League Rookie of the Year. I don't think you could go wrong picking either one of these two guys, but, boy, if they continue to play the way that they are now throughout the rest of their career, I think the shortstop position is in pretty good hands.
2: Yeah, I agree. And You know, I was looking at the, the Indians' batting lineup for tonight, and I noticed that uh, your leadoff hitter sitting hitting, what, 3-0... 303, then Lindor 309, and Brantley 319, and then it drops off into an abyss (laughs) where guys hitting, you know, 220, 230, 215. Uh, You know, we said this at the All-Star break, the Indians needed that extra bat, and unfortunately they didn't get it. And boy, I, I bet you, among others, wish they had.
0: Well, that brings up a very interesting conversation. Trevor Bauer. Of course, they got him from Arizona a couple of years ago in that Reds-Arizona Indians three-way trade. A lot of concerns about him right now, Mark, and it has nothing to do with his attitude. He lasted only three innings yesterday in the second game of that doubleheader with Detroit. Lately, Mark, he's been losing control of his fastball. It's not his breaking stuff that he can't control. It's his fastball now he just cannot seem to control the rise on that fastball. The other day, the the it, the game before the Detroit game on Saturday, he threw 12 consecutive balls against the White Sox mark, and all of them were rising fastballs that he could not get below the belt. Yesterday, he was charged with 6 runs on 7 hits in 3 plus innings in which he struck out 5 and walked 3. He just cannot seem to spot the fastball when he needs to.
2: You know, I'm going to – I don't know this to be the case because I've been guilty of saying the same thing. But I read earlier this year, and it wasn't that long ago, the concept of a rising fastball. And according to the laws of physics, that's impossible. Fastballs don't rise. What they don't do is sink. In other words, if you throw over the top and you're coming down toward home plate, the tendency is the ball, a fastball will have a downward plane to it. And what happens and the perception, I guess, from the batter is if it doesn't sink, it is rising. But I mean, we can check this online. I don't know the answer myself. I'm just telling you what I read. But the 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 concept of a rising fastball is a physical impossibility according to the articles I read. However, I know what you're getting at. If a if a if a pitcher, people don't understand. There's something about being wild, which means you can't get the ball over the plate, and that is problematic to say the least. But what can be more problematic, and I think what you're getting at, is being wild in the zone. That means you're throwing strikes over the plate where you don't want to throw strikes. And you throw a fastball over the middle of the plate. <clears throat> I don't care how hard you throw it. If it doesn't sink, you're in trouble. That's a fastball that doesn't move, and that's where you get killed. Now, I don't know if uh, Bauer is getting hit with that pitch or he simply can't control it and he's walking people. But either way... That's his not, problem.
0: He's really not getting hit with it. He just can't control it, and he walks people.
2: Well, if, if hitters know that, uh, they're going to make you prove it at this level. And, and that's where rookie pitchers get in trouble. Uh, the, the guys in the minor leagues are not selective. But, you know, Bauer is somebody you and I have talked about for, what, four years? Uh, when I saw him pitch for, I think it was for Arizona the first time, I mean, this guy has electric stuff. Unless he has somehow lost that stuff, I still think there's a lot of potential with Bauer. Uh, Maybe, and it sounds like his attitude has improved. Uh, You know, you mentioned that he was a head case a few years ago, but it sounds like he's back on track. But I I still think there's a a big upside with that guy.
0: Oh, I think there's a tremendous upside. But he has just had a rough last two months for the Indians and Terry Francona after yesterday's game talked about some of the troubles that bauer has been
1: going through.
2: I still think it's kind of comes back to probably command of his pitches um, you know just because you know they, they did they fought off some pitches for, for hits that weren't hit real hard but you know sometimes if you're looking for a pitch you maybe have a better chance at least, you know, like I said, fight it off. I, I think most of that probably comes down to fastball command.
0: Mark, here's the point: the Indians are going to have to trade one of their pitchers in order to get a right-handed bat. Now, Corey Kluber's been out for the last couple of weeks with a hamstring. Has nothing to do with his arm; it's his hamstring. He will be back on Thursday. That's what the Indians are anticipating. He'll pitch the final game against Kansas City of this four-game set on Thursday. Gavin Floyd actually came back and pitched a very good inning against Detroit yesterday. That was his first outing since coming back after arm surgery earlier this year. Cody Anderson has pitched well this year. Josh Tomlin has come back and pitched very good baseball this year. My point is is that Trevor Bauer might be the odd man out when it comes to this Indian staff next year. He could bring back a promising right-handed bat for this team if the Indians want to dangle him out there to somebody who's willing to pick him up.
2: Well, that's an interesting thought. And, you know, when you go around the league and the dearth of good hitting that is now so obvious in Major League Baseball, It's hard to look at a good right hand bat and determine value. A few years ago, it seemed like there was a, you know, a a lot of good bats out there and you could get them up. You could get those bats for a good reliever or a number five starter, but not, not not now. Uh, you look who's going to be available in the free agent market this year. Those guys who can swing the bat, uh, are really going to be valued highly. And and it's going to take probably more than a Trevor Trevor Bauer to get them.
0: You know, Mark, when when I when I look at this and I see the possibility of what the Indians are able to do with Trevor Bauer, it 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 rather it gets me excited about next year because I think the possibility of them pulling in somebody with him is is very is a very real possibility. I, I think this kid at twenty four years old still has a lot of life in his arm, without a doubt. I, I really don't want to get rid of Trevor Bauer, but when you look at the state of the Indians pitching with these three guys, I mean I know Floyd is thirty five years old, but Cody Anderson is twenty four years old. You've got Josh Tomlin, who's just hitting 30 years old. You've got three or four years left out of Tomlin. You've got a a whole career left with Cody Anderson, and he's proved he can pitch at this level. And when you see this, Mark, I I think it opens up just a lot of opportunities if the Indians are willing to deal him for a right-handed hitter. Now, I don't know if Ozuna is the kind of guy that they're going to want to go after or if he's even the guy that the Indians would want to get but when you look let's look at the Dodgers, Mark. They're gonna look they're gonna lose Granky. Now are they gonna be willing to go out and trade somebody a right handed hitter for somebody like a Trevor Bauer to come in for next to nothing? Boy, that could help their salary situation as much as they probably would want to help it.
2: But well, who'd you want off that Dodger roster?
0: Well, obviously Puig if I could but then you're trading one one head case for another.
2: Well, the last I saw, he was hitting at, what, 245, 250. And he only had 12, and what, 10, 12 home runs. Um, I just wonder if the league has figured him out and if he's the kind of guy who has the discipline to to make the adjustments to their adjustments. And, you know, his, his value has gone down precipitously over the last, I don't know, what, uh, year for sure.
0: Oh, sure. You know, and, and he, like I said, he's a head case, Mark. Uh, I think the Dodgers are finally fed up with him. But it may be a situation, I, I don't know if I want Puig, to be honest with you. I, I mean, he is a head case. But when, I've got to sit down and I've got to look at the possibilities that the Indians could, uh, could get. I mean, for example, Detroit may be willing to have a fire sale. Well, you've got J.D. Martinez that they may be willing to deal that's a possibility. He's a right fielder. He could switch to to uh, left field and play very, very easily. Um, you know, first baseman around the league. I'm not sure how many first basemen are available. But I mean, if if you could package up a Santana and a Bauer, I wonder what you could get back for for that.
2: Well, I'm not sure Santana has the you know the value. Well, I know he doesn't have the value he had a few years ago. What's he hitting two thirty this year?
0: Yeah, so, yeah, about 224. Yeah, and I agree with you. But that's why I'm saying I, I'd like to get rid of him.
2: Well, a guy I think you could get, and I would proffer this, this trade, uh, Jay Bruce for Trevor Bauer.
0: Oh. <laughs> First of all, we need a right-handed bat. We don't need a left-handed bat. Jay
2: Bruce leads Major League Baseball in the last six years in hitting home runs off left-handers. Major League Baseball, all hitters, all right-handed and left-handed. He can hit left-handers, but he, he doesn't. Have, the problem is he doesn't hit right-handers.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that's the problem. Well, speaking of hitting, Joey Votto has really been pacing the Reds as of late, Mark. But last week, boy, did he have a blow-up with Bill Welke? What in the world happened there?
2: Well, first of all, Welke. They went back and replayed that game, and they picked out I think it was 16 or 17 balls or you know pitches that he miscalled, and it wasn't just Jay, uh, Joey Votto; it was uh, the other team as well. They, they they were getting hosed by this guy. I don't know if he had a bad day, uh, he, he he's going blind or what it was, <laughs> but I mean, some of these pitches were ridiculous. They, they weren't even close to being what he called them, and there'd be other pitches right down in the middle he'd call for a ball. And again, everybody has a bad day, but this was something that uh, was not just that at bad. It had been building up, but I heard the entire interview. You, I think you're going to play a portion of it later, but I heard that the entire 10- or 12-minute interview they had on, and I think it was on Fox, with Joey Votto, and he gave a very articulate description of what occurred Prior to that event, but I got to tell you, he he asked the umpire for a timeout three times politely. He said, "Please, may I have timeout? Please, may I have timeout?" And Wilkie said, "No, get your ass back in there." Now, then he then he throws him out of the ball game. After Vado doesn't talk to the ump, he t- tells the bench, "Hey, he won't let me call timeout." And I think they told him to t- to call timeout. And he looked at the bench and said, I tried. He won't let me call timeout. And that's when he, he got thrown out. Now, I didn't hear this part about uh, um, Price and, and his his take on this thing. But, uh, you know, I know people are kind of upset with Joey Votto. You know, sometimes you, you're going to lose 90 games this year. I want a guy to get pissed. I want to see a guy lose his temper and be emotional And I don't hold that against Joey. It's going to cost him a couple games. So what? Doesn't matter. His his personal stats might be affected. But I wish more people would get angry uh, and get spirited with his team because right now they're sleepwalking.
0: Well, like I said, we have got a cut here where Joey Votto actually spoke to the Reds radio network about the entire situation. It is a lengthy cut. It's about two and a half minutes long. But he gives a great explanation about what happened. And if the commissioner is listening, Joey Votto is making a very good case.
3: The perspective on it was that he and I had a problem the entire game. And that I was complaining about balls and strikes throughout the entire game, uh, including the last at bat, which uh, was not true. The, one of the wonderful things about this particular instance, and I feel grateful, there's so much video, there's so much that you can see during the game, my interactions with with Bill. The first at bat, there was a uh, ball called a strike. It appeared that I was talking to him, disagreeing with the call. But actually, our bench disagreed with the call, and I agreed with him. And I said that to him, I said, Bill, there's nothing there there to to, uh, get upset about. It's a strike, you and I know it's a strike, don't worry about the bench, let's stay right here. Now, unfortunately, perspective is that first at bat I'm already in, I'm not already in a bad place with him now the claim and Brian Price was quoted uh, the claim was that I was playing games with him we had a game going on and that was part of the reason why I was initially ejected but if you start off the game in the first at bat and you're telling him he's making the right calls and you're disagreeing with your team I don't know how there can be a game My second at-bat, there was a ball called off the plate. I like to disagree once and then leave it be. It's their strike zone. It's not my strike zone. I don't play the ball and strike game. I'm not getting thrown out for balls and strikes. The strike zone is always different every day. These are the best in the world at what they do. I admire and respect them. I disagree once and I move on. My last at-bat, I turned around to him and, again, on video, you could see, I said, can I please have time? I used the word please multiple times, and he looked at me and said, no, you can't have time. I felt boxed in as a person, like I'm a, I'm a regular person. I'm boxed in not only physically but metaphorically in this scenario, in the most intense part of the game, and I couldn't step away and get back to neutral mentally. So I didn't take the ball. So I didn't take the called strike and carry that to, to the next pitch because I care so much about the ne- this pr- the preceding pitch. And he wouldn't grant it to me. I appealed to the manager, and he threw me out. In this instance, I couldn't have been close to the guy without touching him. I told him that uh, I couldn't have been more professional to him. I treat him with respect. And unfortunately, they were accompanied with ex- expletives, which made it look even worse. But sometimes that sort of thing happens. I went over and above to be respectful and Unfortunately, I'm put in a, a situation where I have to now defend myself publicly, and I didn't want to do this. I would loved for this had been a nothing, but everybody feels like I need to be the one to answer for getting angry, you know, for for having a temper, for for reacting, you know. And I did. I've done everything I can to stay within boundaries, but people have created new boundaries that apparently, you know, apparently I need to adjust my sights on.
0: Mark, first of all, I, I agree with Joey Votto on a couple of things here. First of all... Hey, Dave, excuse, it, Dave,
2: excuse me. Yes. I've gotten a couple of emails saying that uh, we are dead air. No, we're not. Okay. Go ahead. I,
0: I've, I've got to agree with Joey Votto on the case where he has gets angry. It seems like any time anybody shows emotion or gets angry in this politically correct uh, society that we have anymore, it's inexcusable and someone needs anger management. And, you know, Joey Votto has done this twice this year where he has blown up at an umpire. And, you know, I, I don't think it's his fault. But he is starting to get a reputation now of having an anger problem, and quite honestly, I think it's unfair.
2: I do too. And again, <laughs> you, you, you keep hearkening back to what things were, you know, years ago. But fights with umpires certainly are nothing new. And the, the players today, in my opinion, are so unemotional that when somebody does get angry, it by comparison, it looks bad, but it's not. And I want a guy who's passionate out there, who cares. And I believe what he said about Welkie And, hey, I, I've had, you know, if, if I'm hitting and there's a close pitch, uh, yeah, I want to make sure the umpire doesn't think I'm showing him up. And I'll say, yeah, that, that was a close call. I guess that could have gone either way, huh? And, yeah, he'll say, yeah, that could have gone either way. So, you know, you're not you're not showing him up. You're just saying, close pitch, tough call. I get it. Now, that might win you some points on the next close pitch because you didn't complain about it. But I, I think Joey Votto handled that well. Welkie was the one who did not handle it well. And, and what I don't understand, Joey Votto gets all this heat. What does Major League Baseball do with Welkie? He must have missed, I, Dave, I'm not kidding. He must have missed 15 or 20 pitches, clearly missed. And there were some other borderline pitches that could have gone either way, I guess. But there were some pitches that weren't even close to what he called them. And what do they do about it? And if they do anything, why don't they publicize it? Let the fan base know that Major League Baseball takes umpiring seriously And they're going to reprimand an umpire if he screws up.
1: Well,
0: none of the professional sports do that. I agree with you. I think they should. I think they should make public what they do to officials in the NBA, especially the NFL. And, uh, you know, because Roger Goodell just loves to publicize the players that get in trouble and what he's doing to them, but the officials, if they ever get in trouble, heavens knows we can't publicize what happens to them and Major League Baseball. And, and Mark, it comes back to, you know, with instant replay, I often wonder if maybe the umpires kind of get bored because maybe they miss some of the -the on-the-field arguments as much as maybe the fans do, the managers do, because, you know, arguments on the field are down since instant replay has been implemented.
2: That's right. I agree with you. And, you know, again, the the, the problem is not admitting there's there's a mistake. And if, until or unless a, a sport does that, then you're going to have this frustration build up in the fan base and with players that these umpires, uh, you know, I, I think in football with, with the replay now, they, they don't get away with it, but neither do the umps in baseball. And the other night... I think it was in a Reds game where an umpire made the wrong call at first base on back-to-back calls, got it wrong, and they they showed it on replay. He's o for two. I could was be, it CV Buckner? <laughs> probably no. I think or Angel Hernandez. I think it was Lance Diaz actually. Okay, this is bad, but I could be o for two you know, they're paid to do it right. And what's going to be happening eventually is we talked about this last week. You're going to have instant replay, make umpires superfluous. And, you know, you could have one umpire on the field, making the call and you don't, you don't need four umpires. And if he's overruled, he's overruled by the computer, but you know, by the camera. So these guys are are painting their own obituary uh, by not being professional And baseball, by not letting the fans know when a mistake has been made.
0: You know, where I thought Votto threw Price under the bus was right at the beginning of that cut, Mark, where he said that Brian Price said after the game that he thought that Joey Votto was playing a game with Welke in the first at bat. That's where I thought you could really take that and say that Brian Price was... was trying to make a point to Joey Votto, and Joey Votto just came right back and said, you know, I don't know how in the world anybody could think I was playing a game with Bill Wilkie when I was agreeing with him.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, some of these umpires j- just don't have the respect of the players, and when that happens, uh, you're in trouble as an umpire. But, you know, umpiring has always been uh, something that fans love to complain about, and but now with instant replay, these guys can't hide anymore, and it, it, it's going to get worse <laughs> because uh, just like Dan was it Dinglinger in the uh, what was the '85 World Series? Oh, Don Denkinger. Denkinger, yeah, uh, missing the call that cost the team the World Series championship, and that would never happen today because instant Re- replay would reverse that and. Uh, uh, wasn't he the guy who died this week Andrew har wasn't he the pitcher on the mound at that at that time
0: no he was not on the mound but he was on the mound the next night okay. for game seven and remember that infamous blow up that he had on on denkinger who was then umping behind home plate and Andrew har went nuts on him in the seventh inning over ball strike calls and that's when whitey herzog got thrown out and the whole thing just became a blowout for Kansas City to win that that world series. Yeah, I think they won
2: that what 11-0 or something like that.
0: S- something like that. It was just it was comical in that 7th game because St. Louis thought they had won the world series the night before and Dankinger blew the call. That was almost as bad as that night that that uh oh shoot. Now I can't remember his name the the umpire that that blew the perfect game that Detroit threw against Cleveland on the ground out to first base and he, he blew the call at first base and blew the perfect game for the pitcher and then eventually went up and apologized to the pitcher the next day because he saw the replay and saw that yeah he, he did indeed blow it.
2: Yeah, that wasn't that long ago and I think that was the year before instant replay or two years before and that would have never that would have never happened if if you had the instant replay. So uh I'm a big fan of instant replay. I I think getting it right is more important than an extra, if it takes three or four minutes or five minutes or whatever, through several replays to get it right. Uh, Too much is at stake. These are billion-dollar businesses, and to have human error decide the winner of a World Series is just absurd.
0: You know, Mark, it's funny that you brought that up because that was one of the things that I wanted to bring up tonight was Joaquin Andujar. You know, he died last week at the age of 62, but... Boy, when he was in his prime, was there anybody better?
2: Oh, he was tough. I mean, he, he, was, he was tough and he was mean. Uh, he was a guy who, who would come up in, high and inside to you. And he didn't have the Bob Gibson, you know, persona, but pretty darn close. Uh, he threw a, he had a big fastball, big breaking ball. And uh, he, he was a, you know, he was a top, I, I'd say he was a top 10, maybe top five pitcher for a number of years. And, uh, you know, it's amazing, guys. I saw that Moses Malone died yesterday. These guys are only 60, and they're dropping dead. And Daryl Dawkins died this year. Uh, a lot of people that we saw come up and play. I remember Anduhar coming up as a rookie. <laughs> I do, too. And, you know, now he's dead. And I, those are three guys off the top of my head I can think of this year. Uh, Moses Malone, Daryl Dawkins, and Joaquin Andujar are, are, are guys that were superstars. And, uh, you know, dead before their time.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, it's hard to believe. Moses Malone really kind of threw a chill down my spine because, boy, I remember him. You know, he looked old when he played.
2: Yeah, he came up out of high school, and when he was in high school, uh, and he signed, he was one, I think he was the first to go right from high school to the NBA. He was. And he he was a guy who looked, when when he was 18, he looked like he was thirty. And, and, he, and he played like he was 30 when he was 18. He, he's, he's the kind of guy, like, I saw um, LeBron play here in Kettering, uh, I think his junior year, and he could have gotten 30 points, or 130 points that night. He, you know, he, he could have had as many points as he wanted. And he But he looked like he was 30, 32 years old. He was only 17. Some of these guys just mature so quickly, and you wonder – If if there's anything to that, they mature so quickly and they die young. I I'd love to have somebody do some research on that, but uh, it certainly you know it would make some sense if you are aging quickly when you're 17. Does your body age internally more quickly when you're 60? Who knows.
0: Well, right now, let, let's give an update. They're in the bottom of the seventh inning in Cleveland where the Indians are leading the Royals by a score now of 4-3. to three. So hopefully the Indians can hang on and win that game. The Royals have two more at-bats against the Tribe. Mark, David Ortiz hit his 500th career home run on Saturday. And I think it's an interesting discussion. I wanted to ask you the <coughs> question, is he a Hall of Famer?
2: Oh, I think so. I mean, when he won the World Series championships, I think I put him over the top. I don't think, outside of Barry Bonds, <clears throat> is there a guy who's hit five home, 500 home runs who's not in the Hall of Fame? I don't think there is.
0: Uh, Palmero.
2: Well, yeah. McGuire. Well, uh, those are all – I could have put those guys under the same blanket of steroids. But aside from that, has anybody ever hit five home Hundred home runs and not being.
0: Well, home. let me let me ask this question: Is there a strict designated hitter in the Hall of Fame?
2: Um. Yeah, and I forget who it was. Um, oh uh, no, well tell me
0: Jim Tomey's not in the Hall of Fame, and he's not a strict designated hitter. He played first base. And third base. No, his
2: last, what, last 10 years? He was pretty much DH, wasn't he?
0: No, his last three years, because he played, up until the last three years, he played for the Phillies at first base. David Ortiz has only played first base over the last 15 years in about 35 games, and that were the games that Boston played in the National League.
2: What about uh, Tomei? Is he a Hall of Famer?
0: Absolutely.
2: I thought he was. What what's he at five hundred and Well no, he's not a hall he's not a Hall of Famer yet. He hasn't been retired enough. No, I know that, but you in your mind you think he's gonna be a Hall I thought he was gonna be a Hall of Famer the first time. he's eligible next year, I think, isn't he? Uh
0: no, it's another two or three years because technically he didn't retire until two thousand and thirteen when they built the statue.
2: Oh okay. But how many home runs does he have?
0: Five over five hundred. Yeah. Yeah, he's close, to, he's close to 550. Well, you take out
2: McGuire and Palmero and Bonds because of the steroids, and I think the, the, the answer to the question is I don't think a guy's hit 500 home runs. That's not in the Hall of Fame. So by that, I think that certainly is a, a, a door opener for you. Now, if you're going to look at the Hall of, uh, Hall of Fame as something that a two-way player, defense and offense, uh, then that opens up another can of worms. I mean it's not his fault they have the DH. Uh, you know he, he's dHing because he can. <laughs> and uh, do you think he would still be playing if it wasn't for the DH?
0: No no and but let me let me throw this name out to you. Do you think Edgar Martinez deserves to be in the Hall of Fame?
2: I think it's borderline. Um, you know it's funny. If Martinez had played in a a bigger market, Chicago, New York, yeah, I think he would have been. But uh, he played most of his, you know, his big years were in Seattle. And um, I don't know. I mean, I I think he's one of those guys that's on the cusp and probably should be.
0: You know, I I think Ortiz, because he's in Boston, will be a Hall of Famer. I'm not going to say that if you're a strict DH, um, you don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. But, boy, I'll tell you what, you're right. I mean, that's why I brought up the name Edgar Martinez, because I think Martinez deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And the reason he's not is because he spent his entire career in Seattle. Had he spent his career in New York with the Yankees or in Boston with the Red Sox, he would have been a shoe-in years ago for the Hall of Fame, just like Ortiz will be, just like Tomey will be. But when you look at guys that I think are shoe-ins for the Hall of Fame, that won't make it on the first ballot, that don't have any association with steroids whatsoever, what scares me, Mark, is that Omar Vizquel is not going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And I think he is one of those guys that absolutely, positively deserves it.
2: You think he should be first ballot?
0: Absolutely. You cannot tell me another shortstop in Major League Baseball that has played as long as he is and has over 2,800 hits except for one, and that's Cal Ripken.
1: Well,
2: again, I think a lot of the selection committee's decisions on the Hall of Fame, rightly or wrongly, has to do with did your team win a world championship or two or three. And the other thing is, were you an all-star X number of times? Now, in Vizquel's case, he was an all-star how many times?
0: Oh, several. I don't know how many. I don't have it here in front of me. But the problem is, is you know, yeah, they didn't win a world championship.
2: And I think that hurts. I think it helped Barry Larkin that he was an MVP and he won a world championship. He was a 30-30 guy. There's a lot of things that go into that equation. Are you the best at your position during the era in which you played?
0: And that's a no doubt. That's a no brainer. He
2: absolutely, positively was. Well, by, by that criteria, I agree with you. Statistically, it's always tough when you play a a premier position like shortstop when your offensive numbers uh, are you know not what they should be. You know what? I guess what bothered me about a lot of the selections, uh, Ozzy Smith. You know, Ozzy Smith was a great fielder. He was a lousy hitter, and but he overcame that because they won some world series and he, he's so spectacular on the field. uh, And and I can't rationalize the idea that a one way player should be in the hall of fame. It seems to me it ought to be a well-rounded player. that could play defense and offense better than everybody else during that era in which he played. And that's not Ozzie Smith. He wasn't even in the top, eight or nine in terms of offensive shortstops, maybe not in the top 15. But he's in the Hall of Fame because of his glove. Now, is that a Hall of Famer? Uh, I guess they, the, the committee said it was, but uh, there's a lot of guys who, who hit very well that were lousy defensive players, and they're not in the Hall of Fame.
0: You ever notice when they show highlights of Ozzy Smith, they show all defense except for that one hit, that he had in the championship series that sent the Cardinals to the World Series. And that was that home run.
2: Go crazy, Cardinal fans.
0: Yep. yeah. That that, was, that's the only one they ever show, Mark.
2: Well, it's, only, it's one of the few he hit. Uh, he was just not, you know, he, he stole some bases. He was very spectacular in the field. He would do his flip, you know, running out to shortstop. But I, he's the guy that I thought really lowered the standard for the Hall of Fame. And when you let him in, it opened the door for a lot of other marginal players that I don't think should have been in, but you, you can't continually look at the, I mean, in, in the next 25, 50 years, you're going to have hundreds of players that are going to be eligible for the hall of fame. And do they make the standards tougher, make it tougher to get in? Do they change the criteria? Uh, you, you look back at some of the players now that they, they enshrined 20, 30 years ago uh, I look at some of those names and faces and they're, they're not even close to being Hall of Famers in my opinion. At the time they were, but now, you know, given, given the passage of time, uh, so many more players are, are deserving that, that aren't in, which will lead to the never-ending question about what do you do with McGuire? What do you do with Bonds? What do you do with Palmero? If they weren't connected to steroids, these guys would definitely be in the Hall of Fame. And Bonds was just exonerated of, of, of a big part of what he was accused of, but you know, by the courts. So that really bothers me that they use this seg- subjective criteria uh, to elect these guys. And the fact that Pete Rose and the three guys I just mentioned aren't in the Hall of Fame is ridiculous.
0: Well, we've got a special tribute coming up to a. Very special man that was affiliated with the Cleveland Indians for years coming up at the end of tonight's show, so stick around for that. But, Mark, you know, my dad brought up something to me yesterday, and he did it strictly by accident when I was talking to him. And I I thought it was a very interesting question. Um, He has for years been bugged by the fact that the 1973 New York Mets were in the playoffs. He just hates it. He, he, every time something happens, he talks about these wild cards. He goes back to that 73 Mets team that beat the Reds and how they didn't deserve to be in the playoffs because they were only three games over 500. Well, the NBA this week came out and decided that division winners were no longer going to get automatic entry into the NBA playoffs. They were just going to take the top eight teams in each conference. Which led my father to say, why don't they do the same thing in Major League Baseball and just eliminate the divisions and play a balanced schedule where you play everybody in the American League the same amount of times and then you take the top five teams, the last two are the wild card teams, and the top three are the, the top seeds and you go to it from there. What do you think of that idea?
2: Well, the only thing that would challenge that is tradition. It makes all the sense in the world. Your dad's a smart guy. I mean, that way you, you truly have a balanced schedule to compare performance to. And, you know, w- w- this, this year the, R- the Reds are in the toughest division in baseball, which meant the American League teams that played the Cardinals, they played the Cubs, they played the Pirates, had a much tougher schedule than an American League team that played the National League East teams. When they had the Phillies and the, they had the Phillies and uh, who else is the bottom? Miami. Um, I forget the thirteen now. But that was a very weak division. That's not fair. So your dad's a smart guy. I'm surprised you ended up the way you did.
0: <laughs> well, I got the looks in the family.
2: <laughs> well, yeah,
0: you know, I, I think it makes a lot of sense because you're right you know when you when you look at the national league central division you've got those five teams beating up on each other and then you you've got the washingtons and the mets that are beating up on the atlanta's the miamis you've got out west you've got the giants and the dodgers beating up on colorado and san diego out there but when you boy when you go to that central division hey look at what the reds did to the cardinals last week yeah the reds are in last place but they handed their hats to the to the Cardinals.
2: You know, it's interesting. The Cardinals have a losing record in their division, and they have a six, I think, is a six seventy winning percentage against the rest of the league. I mean, that that tells you how tough the National League Central is, and a, you know, it's a daunting uh, prospect for the Reds to improve against all that talent in that division.
0: Mark, before we get to our tribute tonight, what do the Reds have coming up the rest of this week? I know they have got the Giants tonight. Then what?
2: Uh, they go on the road and they go to Milwa- I think they go to Milwaukee and uh, I don't have the schedule in front of me. but uh, you know the Reds right now, the schedule is not important. What is is getting these young pitchers some experience and they set a major league record, uh, I think it was yesterday by the most starts by rookies any team since 1902.
0: Wow. Well, the Indians this week, they've got the Royals after tonight, which right now they're leading 5-3 to three going into the top of the eighth inning. They've got the Royals tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday night, and then the Chicago White Sox come to town to round out this 11-game homestand for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afternoon. Mark, before we get into our tribute, I want to let you know that Rocco Scotti, 95 years old. He was an opera singer, and he was a gentleman that sang the national anthem for the Indians on several different occasions. And we're going to round out tonight's show with his rendition of the national anthem. He he died last week at the age of 95, and what a voice this guy had. You're going to enjoy this as we round out the show. So we'll let you go, Mark. Have a good week, Mark. We'll talk to you again next week. All right,
2: David. Have a good one.
0: All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. As I said, we're going to round out the show with this rendition by Rocco Scotti. This was done at the 1981 All-Star Game. I had the pleasure of being there. I was working at a radio station in Ashland, Ohio, and Rocco Scotti came out. This was after the uh, strike, and they came back and played the All-Star Game. And this was Rocco Scotti singing the National Anthem. That's going to do it for us tonight. Don't forget to join us again next Monday night with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Our thanks to you for listening and to Greg Mitchell for producing. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good night, everybody. And here is Rocco Scotti's rendition of the National to Anthem. honor America,
2: the National
1: Anthem will be sung by longtime Cleveland favorite Rocco Scotti.